Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. We all know that prayer is a critical part of world missions. The command of Christ to his disciples was that they pray the Lord of the harvest, that he might send forth laborers into his harvest. That text in Matthew 9 and the subsequent selection of the apostles in Matthew 10 sets forth a pattern that has been repeated time and again over the history of the church. My guest today is a man that has taken prayer for missions seriously for a long time, and now his prayers to the Lord of the Harvest have resulted in his call to the foreign mission field. Brother Tony, whose last name we're withholding for security reasons, has pastored for the last 18 years or so in the Midwestern United States, but now the call of God is taking him to the Middle East. Brother Tony relates his call to foreign missions in the program today, including the important part that prayer played. And then, Brother Tony and I discuss biblical principles of missions and prayer and some of the instances where these principles have played out significantly over the course of missions history. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation with Brother Tony and praying the Lord of the Harvest. Brother Tony, after, after many years of stateside pastoral ministry, the Lord has now directed your heart to foreign mission service in one of the least reached regions of the earth. And I've heard you relate uh, that story and uh, of your call to foreign missions. And I'd like for you to do that for our listeners today. And, and one of the things that I want to concentrate on in the, in the course of this conversation is the relationship between prayer and worldwide missions. And I know that your call to uh, foreign mission service in this needy part of the globe is really rooted in prayer, praying the Lord of the harvest. So why don't you take a little time here to tell us the story of your call to missions and how prayer figured into that story. Yes, sir. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, it's a privilege to uh, share this story. And uh, the call of God is a, is a very serious matter. And we were very settled in the pastorate and enjoying that work and that ministry uh, my wife and I have been involved in local church ministry uh, here in the States since we were married. And then, you know, even before that, as we come from Christian homes and uh, our parents were, were in church really all of our lives, and we were truly blessed with that. Uh, if I back way up in, in my life, uh, my parents were at a point Back in my middle teenage years, they, my dad resigned the church where he was pastoring and we went on deputation and raised support uh, to do some stateside mission work. And it was during that time that God began to deal with my heart about uh, preaching. And that specific call of God came to me from Jeremiah chapter number one. And I was also reading another a book about some, some missionaries in Ecuador. And uh, God had really just burdened my heart and broken my heart for uh, telling others about him. And so it was really through through missions that the Lord got a hold of me to serve him uh, initially. And I uh, announced my call to preach at a mission conference and I surrendered to missions 
in the month of April of 1994 as um, I was 21 years old. And I told the Lord then, I'll go anywhere, even Africa. You know, those Lord send me anywhere <laughs> but Africa. That folks might say, I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere, even Africa. And I could take you to that spot today and really I never took that back. And God put us in a, a small town in the United States uh, in the pastorate for the last 18 years. And, and we were just honored to serve the Lord there and thrilled to, just to have a place. Um, sure. be able to tell people about Jesus. And we would, we would refer to, uh, that church and that community where we were as our mission field or thank you. This is our mission field and we want to do all that we can to reach this place. So we were really involved in missions in short-term mission trips, uh, both in the, uh, the Western United States for a number of years. And then I began to, to, to travel some more overseas. In, in way back in uh, 2012, 2013, and through when you go, when you go and see it, it really changes your vision. When you when you see the world, and you begin to see the the need uh, that is there, and how other people live, it really changes changes your your heart and changes your life. There's a there's a, a mission story that we've often heard the story of William Borden and William Borden uh, of, of no reserve, no retreat and no regret fame. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that story. Oh yes, He was saved under the preaching of R.A. Torrey at, at Moody church. And at the age of 16, his parents who were, who were very wealthy gifted him a chaperone trip around the world. And as he traveled around the world, he, he saw what other people in other places, how they lived. And, and truly, uh, that trip planted a seed in his heart for worldwide missions. He, um, he later came under the preaching of R.A. Torrey again. And, and it was at that point that he surrendered his life to ministry. And uh, he, you know, he sought to serve the Lord rather than the, the wealth and fame of of what his father's fortunes were. I think his father had some uh, mining interests out West somewhere, but in, uh, in the early years of his life, when he was 19 or 20 years old, he, he came in contact with a man named Samuel Zwimmer and Samuel Zwimmer was a, a missionary in Arabia in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And when, when Borden heard him, he, he later referred to Zwimmer as the man with the map and the, the map that he saw when Zwimmer preached, Zwimmer wrote many, many books, 40 some odd, 40 to 45, 46 books, I think. And in those books, he would include maps so that the passion and the heart of young people would be stirred up for foreign missions so that they could see beyond their world and see beyond their community. Well, Borden was greatly influenced by that. And he, what he saw with that map in a very practical way uh, influenced him. And I'll come back to this later on in this podcast, but I, 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 I give that story now to say this when 
Taking short-term mission trips opens your heart and lets you see the great need of the world. There was a point that I I just did some simple math, math calculations, and the calculation was in the town that I pastored in, there were 12 churches, not all exactly like us, but most every one of them preached the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. And the in in the town that I was in, there was one church for every 175 people. <laughs> right. And then you look at places in the world where there are hundreds of thousands and even millions of people living who have no churches and no gospel witness. And that yes, really right. made a great effect in, in my heart. We, at our church, we had worked with a missions training camp, and it's Beyond Borders Third World Missions Training Camp. And each summer, young people will come, and missionary couples will come who are headed to the farm field, and they would train really for third world scenarios, scenarios that we don't face here in the first world. I mean, even things as simple as driving a stick shift, you know, those you hardly find, uh, you finally hardly find something of such a creature in the United States and overseas. Most every automobile is a, is a stick shift. You very rarely That's find right. an automatic. So just, just some very practical lessons. But one of the things that we do each year is to go to the library and research and find places in the world where there are no missionaries and we had we had picked some places such as Azerbaijan and Bhutan and uh, Djibouti Africa trying to see how could we get the gospel to Yemen and there are there are men that have taken trips to those places uh, probing looking uh, exploring if you will to see how could we get the gospel there? Are there any missionaries there? Are there any churches there? Are there any Christians there? And so a men from our church and some, some other men that had burdens uh, such as this would, would make trips. But each summer we would research an area and pray over that area and raise money and send men on a prospecting trip. And so you begin to, you begin to look for and pray for places with very little or no light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in uh, the process of my life, I was building some things in a, a shop that I had, and I was building something that had an, an Oriental persuasion to it, a Japanese persuasion. And so I began to study about Japan and the culture and, and why this particular object was shaped the way that it was shaped. In, in specific, I was building a Japanese sword and so I studied the culture and then you, as you study the culture, you look at people and you see individuals and you begin to pray for them. And the thought process is who's in Japan. So I went to the major, major mission board website and just pulled some names of people in Japan, missionaries in Japan. And I made a list. And as I was in my shop, I would pray for those missionaries and ask God to, to, you know, expand their ministry and, give them open doors and give them protection and provide for them. But the normal things you would pray for missionaries, these people having never met them still just had a burden for them. And then I was reading uh, about 
you know, where uh, God is talking about from the rising of the sun in the east over in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 45. And I just really began to, to look at other places in that part of the world. And I came to the thought of where east meets west. And actually it was through a book I was, I was studying about a, um, a specific sword, a Turkish sword, and how to forge that sword out. And I began to study about Turkey and began to try to find missionaries in Turkey. And I, I, there, there's not anything readily available on the internet. Of course, there are people that are there. They're just, they protect their, their, their status. They protect their identity there. But I, I prayed for about a month for Turkey and the, the load became very, very heavy. And I, I couldn't find any mission work that was taking place in Turkey. Turkey is 99.8% Muslim. And, you know, when you study the book of Revelation, you read about the seven churches there in the book of Revelation. That was, that was, those churches existed in what is now the modern country of Turkey. That's right. And to see such a great influx of the gospel in New Testament days, do so little influence today, it became a burden in my heart. And I actually began to wonder, God, do you want me to go there? And that we are indeed not going uh, to Turkey. We did find some missionaries there. And it's, you know, when I found, preacher, when I found some missionaries there, it's like uh, a very simple statement that I say, it's like Atlas took the world back. <laughs> the world was taken <laughs> off of my shoulder and there's just a great load was lifted. Uh, yeah. And really that burden had come through prayer. And yes, when when you pray for a place or you pray for a people, it, it gives you a it gives you a burden for them, even though you you have never how can you love someone that you've never met? And my wife and I have had this conversation about our children. We have two children. And we, we loved them before they were ever born. And and we loved them when they were born and we met them. We loved them as they were and for who they were. But we loved them before we ever met them. And this is this is the love of God in your heart for another. And you can you can love a people. I've experienced this in my life that you can you can love a people and care for them having never met them. And that's just the love of God being played out. Yes, that's that's a supernatural love though. That's a, that's that's something that begins in the heart of God and works its way into our hearts. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And we, we read about that in, in John's epistle. He talks about that and that's just the, the, the divine love of God. God loving the world through us, if you will. You know. So, Brother Tony, you, you've you've uh, uh, interacted with a couple of things that we try on the podcast to promote among believers, and that is, uh, for one, you have you have mentioned um, indirectly through Gates of Splendor. I'm I'm assuming that yes, that's sir. maybe the book that you read as yeah. a young man yes, stirred your heart about uh, foreign missions. You've mentioned w- William Borden, who actually, by the way, um, died before. Getting to he he um, contracted cerebral cerebral meningitis when he was in 
Egypt uh, studying yeah. Arabic uh, under Zwimmer and and uh, in view of going to Western China and and reaching the uh, the Chinese Muslim peoples there. Samuel Zwimmer is sometimes referred to as the apostle to the uh, Arabs, yeah. and and so it sounds like, brother, that your some of your burden for world missions was. Uh, provoked and stirred through the reading of missionary biography. And I have often said that apart from the Bible, the most uh, helpful, uh, spiritually enriching reading that I've ever done has been in the realm of Christian biography and particularly mission biography. I, I, I couldn't say enough about the value of reading missionary biography just to stir one's heart for the world um, for it, by the sacrifices that that other men have made, so I appreciate you mentioning that, and then that joining up with you personally in in the in the generation in which you live, laying eyes on foreign fields as Borden did as a young man, um, and and this gets to one of the things that I would uh, I want to shape this conversation around, and that is that. Jesus Christ issued a command to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9. He made an observation that the harvest truly is plenteous, but that the laborers are few. And then he commanded them. We sometimes say, well, the Lord's got a prayer request. It's actually not a prayer request. It's a prayer commandment. And he said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Before that great uh, prayer command is issued by the Lord, he is looking upon the fields. He is moved with compassion by the multitudes that are scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And that is one of the things that a foreign mission trip can do is it can provoke, because our eye affects our heart, it can provoke us to consider people that we have never considered before and to and to develop a burden for needs that we didn't know existed, I think there's tremendous value both in reading missionary biographies and in taking short-term mission trips. And one of the things that I think pastors ought to do this for their people is to is to promote and encourage the reading of missionary biography and taking uh, taking short-term mission trips because it will help the whether men whether men end up with a call to a foreign mission field or not, it will help the local church missions program for sure. Yes, your your eye affects your heart, and when you see, when you see the great need, if if God doesn't call you to go, it it encourages you to give. Absolutely. When, when I was a young man, as a, a senior in high school, we I went to a Christian school, and we raised money, and we went to Mexico. We took a this is back in the day where you could go in and out of Mexico without a passport, and we we chartered a bus and went down to down into Texas at the border, and we would go. Mexico. We actually stayed in Mexico for seven days as uh, juniors and seniors in high school. And I actually preached back then. I had taken Spanish one and Spanish two, and it was going to be a, a novel thing to preach in Spanish. So I preached <laughs> two or three messages in Spanish, and I'm sure that they were less than elementary. But going and seeing greatly affected my life. My son, at the age of 14, he wanted to go on a mission trip. So at the age of 14, uh, we worked, he worked and saved the money and, and paid his way. We went to the country of Argentina and visited a missionary there and spent some time. And he saw things like a man get his shoes stolen. You know, he saw people living in, in, in filth and squalor and just in, in squatter places. 
and that greatly affected his life. And he's had a heart to give to missions from the age of 14 because Amen. of taking that that mission trip and how the Lord stirred in, in his heart. I would go back and, and make a reference in Matthew chapter 9 um, that the Lord is already working in, in, in verse 35 there. He, he's going about the cities and the villages and he's teaching and preaching and healing. So the, the Lord is involved in the work that he's trying to get the disciples involved in. It's not a lone venture when we enter into this realm of missions. The Lord is involved in this work already. And he he is invested with compassion from verse 36. He was moved with compassion on them when he saw the multitude. And then he invited others to partake in that. So what a privilege yes. to come alongside the Lord Jesus Christ and participate in in reaching the world. Uh, what a what a great privilege that we have. So that's that's the Lord. And then I, the next thing I would say about that is the load. It's when he saw the multitudes and when when we look and see the world, it should provoke us to have compassion and a burden for them. Uh, the Lord said something very similar in John four. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. When we when we listen to the master's voice, when we hear what he says, then we will look upon what he is looking upon and we'll look upon his fields and looking to him and listening to him will lead us to laboring with him. There in John chapter four, verses 34 and 35, and that the load that the Lord bore upon him was the sickness and the disease that that plagued the society about him and the sheep that were scattered abroad and the sheep as though they had no shepherd. And so he, he makes the call for prayer for laborers. So pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That's the command he gives to the, to the disciples. So. In, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, uh, the disciples are praying. You know, the harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. So they're praying that God would send laborers. And in chapter 10, the Lord calls those men to him. In, in verse number one, he calls them to him. And that, that place of, of being called to the Lord, a call to ministry, is a first a call to walk with Christ. And they yes. came to him in a place of communion and they, they, they walked with him. And as they walk with him, he empowers them. And, and I might say this without walking with him, there is no power for ministry. And absolutely the, the walk with him as he calls them. I kind of refer this. I think of it in my mind. I picture it as a slingshot. If you, if you pull a slingshot toward you, you bring it in close to you and then you release it and you send it out. Those disciples, he drew them in close to him and he taught them and he challenged them and he empowered them. And in chapter chapter nine, they're praying. And in chapter 10, they're going. So yes, it's sir. the natural course of scripture and the precedent set here in Matthew nine and 10 
is that when you pray about something, it won't be long until you are going. So that, amen. the Lord, he sent those 12 and commanded them to go, go and preach. So when I, I, I would often say this as a pastor, when we would have Wednesday night prayer meeting and people would say, pray for my brother, pray for my sister, pray for my mom or my dad. They're unsaved. Well, that that burden is upon you and and God gives you that burden for a reason. Now, we should all want to go and witness to that person. But that person for whom I am burdened, that burden is there for a reason. And I'm praying for them for a reason. And in essence, when we fulfill Matthew 9 and 10, we become the answer to our own prayer request. Right, right. We we pray for a place. I I met a man who had come from a country in the Middle East, and he was no longer able to be there due to some extenuating circumstances. And I, I, I spent a day with him and I asked him, who is in that country now? And he said, preacher, there's not anyone like us. And by that, he mm-hmm. means, you know, anyone from the United States with our belief system or our faith and practice. And wow. so I, I, that was, it was an hour home after I had spent that day with this missionary who had recently returned to the States. And I prayed, God, send someone, I called that country, send someone to that place. Send someone to this country, send someone to these people. It's a, a country of, of 10 million people. And at present, I, I can't find anyone of like faith and practice that is there that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I began to pray for them and pray for them. And, and you, you, you give to missions, you go on short, short-term mission trips, you get the faith promise. You, we were, we would make things in our shop and we would sell them and give to missions or sometimes just give those items directly to missions through some doors God had opened for us. And you give and you give and you give. And one day the Holy Spirit says, when are you going to give you? Mm. And the, the money isn't enough. And the prayer isn't enough. And the burden isn't enough. It, it, becomes, it becomes a call. And it wasn't just an emotional response. It was a, it was a call from Scripture. And everywhere I... Everywhere I went in scripture, the Lord confirmed his call for us to leave where we were in a very settled place and to go to a very unsettled lifestyle. And um, honestly, in my own heart, I, if, if I just be honest here, there was a, a bit of apprehension initially. Lord, how, how can I do that? How can we go there? And and the Lord confirmed it through scripture and counsel and through much. I went to my wife and I said, the, the Lord is working in my heart for missions. She said, okay, where? And I, I said, the Middle East. And she, she said, <laughs> anywhere but the Middle East. <laughs> and that's not to throw her under the bus because she knows we talk about this often. And Sure. And, she said nowhere anywhere but the Middle East and honestly almost any rationally sane wife would have the same thought 
Of course. Yeah. So she said, have you prayed about this? And I said, of course I've prayed. She said, well, you need to pray some more. (laughs) (laughs) She said, have you fasted? I said, yes, I fasted. She said, well, you need to fast some more. So (laughs) we set aside an extended period of time for prayer and fasting. And I shared this with our church when I stood to resign. And that's probably the hardest thing that, that I've done in my life as far as one event was, yes, sir. was resigning and standing up and telling those people that God was calling us to go into mission work and to leave there. That was it's our home and our family. And when you're in a place, you give yourself to that place and those people. And you understand that. You know exactly I where do. I'm coming from. Yes, sir. And, and I stood there and I, I conveyed it like this. What do you do when you have a burden? When I have a burden, I, I take it to the Lord and leave it there. That's more than a song. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. There are some burdens that we have to bear. Galatians teaches us that there's some burdens that we can help one another bear. There's some things that we're just going to have to bear. And I had be, began to pray for a specific place and a specific people. And the burden grew greater. And, and I would go through prayer and fasting. I would give that to the Lord, hoping that he would take it. And that burden would leave me. But that burden only grew greater. So what do you do when you have a burden and you give it to the Lord in prayer and you give it to him through fasting and prayer and you do that for an extended time and that burden only grows greater and you can't get out from under that. You you submit to that burden and you submit to that call and God gives you grace to go forward with that. And there certainly have been some unpleasant days emotionally or rationally in our life in the last few months. But there is great peace and great freedom and being completely and 100 percent entirely. I, I mean, as I say this, I say, Lord, search my heart. But to hold nothing back from him and to say, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything. And I'm 100% submitted to you. There's great freedom in that. Amen. Yes, sir. Brother Tony, you you have identified both in what, what you're describing in your personal experience and the call of God on your life is very much what we see in the Lord's pattern that he set out in Matthew 9 and 10. As you pointed out, the Lord is commanding a group of disciples to pray the Lord of the harvest in one chapter. And in the next chapter, the same group that was praying in chapter 9 is being sent forth in chapter 10. And that is the, that's the turning point in the Gospels of, uh, of the advance of Christ's message and the multiplication of the publication of that message, it's it's prayer. And then in chapter 10, and you can see the pattern uh, also in, in Luke chapter 6, where those disciples that he separated and sent forth are now called apostles. An apostle is a sent one. They're not sent 
the the thing that happens between just being a disciple and being an apostle is there's there's prayer that takes place. And that's not only something that we see in terms of a scriptural pattern in the Lord's ministry and his interaction with his apostles. It's not only something that you've experienced and also that I have experienced. It is a pattern that we see borne out in scripture and in history. And I know that this is of interest to you as it is to me. Of course, we see in that you have this tremendous advance in early Acts where uh, multitudes of souls are being saved and being brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that progress that you see in Acts 2 and 3 and 4, in a manner of speaking, it begins in a prayer meeting in Acts yeah. chapter 1. Yes, sir. Of course, the the great um, expanse of the missionary program in the second half of the book of Acts, with these unfolding missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul and his associates, every bit of that is traceable to a prayer meeting that took place in Acts chapter 13, where some prophets and teachers at Antioch are taking seriously the commission of our Lord to, to intentionally take the gospel to the regions beyond them and to be witnesses unto Christ in the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and up until then, the expansion is incidental from Acts 13 forward. It's intentional, but it still begins with prayer. Yeah. And that's something that is demonstrated not only in Scripture, it's also demonstrated in missions history. So I don't know how we get around this thing of prayer. It is absolutely essential to the enterprise of world missions and us taking our charges seriously. This is, this, this is as fundamental as the commission itself to pray the Lord, pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Uh Preacher, I made some notes this morning for the book of Acts, and I won't rehash what you just said, but just to reiterate, the Bible says there in Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, and the things that result from that is the house was shaken, and, it was, and they were filled, and they spake, and they began to witness, and you can find all of those words in that passage of Scripture. In, in Acts chapter 6, in Verse number six, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on those men and the word of God increased and disciples were multiplied and they did great wonders in that region. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13 and verse three, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They, you know, the word of God was preached and people began to follow in a whole city comes out uh, to that to them and and it's a, it's really amazing what the bible says is in, in later in chapter 13 and the word of god was published throughout all the region that was a direct result of prayer and again the bible says it one more time four places in the book of acts and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed and when they had prayed with fasting they commanded them uh, to the Lord, committed them to the Lord on whom they believed. So four different times in the book of Acts, in Acts 4, 6, 13, and 14, when they had prayed, there were, there were great, there was great right. outreach of the gospel. When yeah, things prayed. began to happen. Yeah. Yes, sir. There's yes, a, sir. There's a, a, a phrase that I read, a statement that I read years ago by William Carey. 
William Carey said, to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. And so there's a, a man later, we some would refer to him as the father of faith promise mission, Oswald J. Smith. He made this statement. He said, pray with an open Bible and an open map. And there is, there's a message actually that I preach uh, to young people. And it's, there's nothing, nothing original. It is, I just take the statements of those men and talk about praying with an open Bible. Every, every major step that, that has been in my life of, of spiritual growth or spiritual direction, it comes directly from scripture. And God has spoken to me in scripture. And I challenge young people to pray with their Bible open, pray scripture and pray with scripture before you. And when we, we pray with our Bible open, then, you know, it's quite simple that prayer is me talking to God and scripture is God talking to me. So right. when I pray with my Bible open, I'm talking to him and I'm giving him a direct opportunity to speak to me. And when I, when I pray with, with that sense, the, the Bible sure does mean a lot more to me. And it becomes, it becomes real to me in that moment. You know, it's, it's real and live and quick and powerful. We know that. But the Holy Spirit will, will quicken it. And I mean, we've all read a place, you know, maybe a verse of scripture. You've read it a hundred times before. But that day, it's like it jumped off the page and into your heart. And that, that place of prayer with scripture where the Bible becomes very personal and very real in that moment. And God guides us through scripture and then praying with an, with an open map that the map, when a, when a map is before you, a map in a, in a very, in a very practical sense gives you the view of the world that God has looking from above down on the earth, looking on nations and people groups and places where there there is great need. I can recall being in a, a church building that is a, it's a larger church building. They have a huge wooden world map on one of their, their walls that is uh, adjacent to the platform. And as you sit in the pew and you look to the front of the church, you see this huge world map. And that world map, they on that map, they have red lights or or there are red dots. And you can right. see where they support missionaries. So for every missionary they support, they they put a, a red light in that location. And I can very distinctly recall sitting there and looking at that light and, and seeing what we would call. This is a church that supports large number of missionaries and sends out large number of missionaries. And, and seeing quite literally before me a dark place across the map in what yes, we sir. would term the 1040 window. And it, it's not that it's not that the church has chosen this particular church has chosen not to support missionaries there. It's that so, nobody to support so little work is going there. The, right. the numbers tell us that it's less than one out of every 100 missionaries, so less than 1% of missionaries will go to a Muslim country. And yet in the last decade, nine of the 10 fastest growing countries in the world have indeed 
have been Muslim countries. So it, it is it's a, it's a matter of seeing the need, but it has to be more than just a, a, a need. A need doesn't constitute a call, and that call of God is so imperative. And, you know, maybe that's why a lot of people quit ministry, because they, they just responded with an emotional response. And things get hard in ministry. But when you have a call and you have you have scripture and you know that God has put you in a place, you can endure some hardships and some difficult days. And for you and I, you and I, the, the life that we have known in ministry thus far, there's certainly been some hard times and difficult times. And and we have some tests yet ahead, you and I, in, in the ventures uh, that God has called us to yet ahead in our life. And I'm I'm committed to God to be faithful. And I know there will be some days that are not easy days. But with the call of God, you can look at difficulty and you can go forward. So when we look at that that map and we see the world as as God sees us, it, it helps us to organize our efforts and our works and our travels. A map helps me to, to it inspires me to think outside of my world and maybe my worldview. And expands our mind to the enormous size and the enormous need and the enormous task that is before us in this world. Yes, and, sir. You know, maybe with, without a map or without, without those things, I, I wouldn't see the need. I challenge young people, learn geography, learn languages. But young people, maybe there will be a young man that will listen to this podcast. I challenge young men, while your mind is fresh, while your mind can retain knowledge, learn language. If God has put a people group or a place in your heart, learn a language. If you don't know, if your heart, if you feel that God is stirring in your heart for missions or you would want God to stir in your heart for missions, take the top 50 words of of some language, you know, just Google it, top 50 words of the English language, and then look those words up in other languages. And one at a time, if you'll learn the top 50 words in 10 languages. You can talk, you can communicate to anyone in the world. And yeah. with that, you learn a language, you learn about cultures, you learn about people groups. There's so much information on the internet now about people groups that maybe we have never even heard of. There are apps that you can download on your phone and it will give you a different people group every day who has zero gospel witness. And you can pray for those people that God would send someone there. And it just might be. It just might be that as you pray. that God calls you. I, I drove through in 2020 on a mission trip. I drove through a city in Zimbabwe of around a quarter of a million people without a Bible-believing church, beautifully situated. I'd never visited that place before, but uh, my heart was touched. And I began praying that the Lord would raise up a man to go to that place. And I actually had a man in mind, <laughs> and not, not me. <laughs> and uh, as the Lord would have it, um, we, will, we will move there in, <laughs> in just a few days. And uh, that it that really is uh, how this tends to work. And by the way, that that man for whom I prayed is uh, is going with us. It, it prayer prayer 
um, just the, the, the powerful potential when God's people will pray uh, for the things that are near to the Lord's heart. So much, so much of the, the church's prayers superficial there it's about it's about things that it's not that they're not of interest to the lord it's just that they're not of the greatest interest to the lord all the physical infirmities all the it's and i don't think that god is unconcerned and i don't think that those are inappropriate things to pray about but he has given they though we're not commanded to pray about any of those things in the way that we are commanded to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors into his harvest. And you see that over and over again in history. You see it with the Moravians in the 18th century, a hundred year long prayer meeting, brother Tony touched off back in 1727 around the clock, 24 hour day prayer meeting that ran a hundred years. And within 65 years of that, of, of that prayer meeting beginning that prayer watch, there are 300 laborers that are sent forth from this little Moravian settlement in Hernhut. Uh, incredible. You mentioned William Carey, the open Bible and the map, a shoe cobbler, a, a shoemaker, a poor shoemaker. And there he goes as a young man learning languages, um, reading Captain Cook's um, reports of, of international travel with this great map that he had acquired, uh, spread across the wall, learning about different places and and through a concert of prayer with other uh, pastors, the Lord moves upon his heart to publish his inquiries back in 1792. And within a year, he's he is the first um, British sent missionary on the foreign field known at that time. Yeah. It touched off the modern missions movement. And then you move back across the pond to to early America. And uh, why, why don't you take just a moment, Brother Tony, and tell us about the uh the haystack prayer meeting, because that's that's uh, that is another snapshot from history about what we're talking about, the potential when uh, when when men will pray for the need of laborers around the world. Yeah, we had we had discussed uh, William Carey. You know, we we would know him as the father of modern missions, translated the Bible into six languages. God, God, give us some some young people that will study that will apply themselves. It, it takes work and, and effort and labor. And so William Carey had, had written his inquiry into the obligation of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen. How's that for a title of a pamphlet? <laughs> this pamphlet's <laughs> yeah. going to be heavy. Well, there was a there was a group of young men in the United States who got a hold of that. And there was a we might refer to it as the second great awakening. There was a, a great move of a revival in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And there was a, a man by the name of Samuel Mills, just a young man who went to Williams college in Massachusetts. And he got there and there was already a, a sense of revival on the ground. And, and young men would meet and pray. And they were, it was one Saturday they were headed to, I think it was maple trees where they would pray on Saturday. There was a maple grove and they would meet there and pray. And on the way to that maple grove, a storm blew in and it was thundering and lightning and raining. And, and these young men, there were five young men. They sought shelter under a haystack and under that haystack, they were talking about the great need of India uh, from, from reading uh, William, uh, William Carey and reading his work and reading his burden. And in that place, they discussed it. And, so they they began to pray uh, for 
laborers to go and pray that something could be done. And so they 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 knelt there in a driving rainstorm under the shelter of a haystack in, in what became known uh, as the haystack prayer meeting. And a burden and a vision came upon some young men, American Christians, to evangelize not only America, but to evangelize the world. And out of that came the American Bible Society and then some of the first missionaries to go overseas. Um, there's, a, there's one of the young men that was a part of that meeting uh, by the last name of Richards. He actually went to India just a, a number of years later and stayed until the end of his life. But it, it was it's recorded that Mills, who was the who was the one uh, that was heavily invested in that prayer burden of the Haystack prayer meeting, uh, as they were praying that someone would go overseas to India and that people would get a, a burden for that. He made this statement, we can do this if we will. We can do Amen. this if we will. And that's, that's etched in stone on a monument there at the Haystack Revival, uh, the location of that. If I could just say a, a few things here about prayer, just to, just a couple of notes. And I wonder in in groups of young men in churches, who, who would get together a, a band of young men to pray, to pray for the regions beyond the regions beyond, to find places where there's little gospel impact, to find what languages have no scripture available. Pray that God would raise up someone who could translate that scripture. Pray that God would raise up labors for the great harvest. Who's leading the prayer groups? Who would be willing to, to, to take part in that? And uh, that God would burden some men to pray and some young men uh, to pray. We talk about closed countries. Well, prayer knows no closed doors. And a uh, matter of fact, I, I read this the other day. It said the, the, we speak of closed doors. The closed doors are few. I quote, the closed doors are few compared to the open doors unentered, end quote. Wow. And I, wow. I, sh I should have the, I should be able to attribute that. I'm almost certain that I read that from Oswald Smith again. Um, perhaps the great failures of the global mission of the gospel in our day are defined by our limitations of a willingness to pray. Maybe, maybe the reason the world is in the shape that is in is because Christians' prayer lives are in the shape that they are. No, you have not because you ask not. Just read that this morning in the book of James. And we have a we have a great task before us. Seven point nine yes, billion right. people on the face of the earth. P perhaps three and a half billion, four billion have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, that's a that's a great task. It's a, it's a great need. Uh, I look at current events around us, and and I see, uh, you know, I, I when the things began to happen uh, between Russia and Ukraine. I was reading in the book of Acts and I was reading about the Philippian jailer and and there was a great earthquake and the earth was shaking. And before the dust had settled there, he's calling for a light and they sprang in with a light. Do thyself no harm. And you, you know how he was converted in his household. And 
when the world shakes before the dust settles that there would be someone there because there will be a call for light. We're living in mm. dark days and that someone would be there to step in with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and people and households and cities and countries could know revival. The, the gospel still works. It's, it's still the power of God to salvation. I, I, would, I would say this. The hour is late. The days are dark. The times are evil. The gospel is powerful. The laborers are few. What shall we do? Pray ye. Pray ye. Pray ye. Brother Tony, that uh, that seems like a good place to wind up this conversation. The uh, the hour is short. Uh, the days are dark. And one thing that we can do is we can pray. And I hope our listeners today will take up that burden, will be stirred by, by this uh, interview, this conversation about um, how the Lord has worked in your heart, about getting the gospel to the Middle East, one of the least reached places, regions in, in the entire world. And yet uh, you're headed there in answer to prayer. Uh, and and uh, brother, I, just, as a, just as an historical sidelight, the, uh, when William Carey went to India, it was closed. Yeah. The British East India Company would not allow people to come in. That's why I ended up in Serampore, which was which was run by the Dutch at the time. Sure. When when Judson and uh, Rice and those other laborers went in 1812, India was still closed. That that's why they ended up in Burma because they couldn't get to India, and so the Lord directed them to another unreached place. Uh, it, it's not that it's not that all of a sudden there are these difficulties in the modern age that are that are insurmountable. Our God. Amen. is still able. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Amen. And his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. And, uh, and so we, we've, we've got to hear the Lord's uh, command to, to pray the Lord of the harvest. Brother Tony, I'm excited about what the Lord has you and your wife doing and, and where you're deploying to. And I am an expectation of how the Lord is going to use you in the days ahead. And I appreciate you Taking, taking out some time to talk about this uh, important subject. And I pray the Lord will bless you. And I appreciate your uh, insight into this subject of prayer and missions. Might I say in, in conclusion, this kind, this kind comes not forth, but by prayer and fasting. <laughs> yes. yes. Thank you for the opportunity. I've enjoyed the time here with you. God bless you and your ventures. The call of God is a very real and a very personal thing. When God calls, please say yes. There's never a place in life, there's never a call to which we should say no. Say yes to Him. Submit to Him. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope the program was helpful and that we've all been provoked to pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he might send forth laborers into his harvest. And I hope for you and me both that we're willing to be the answer to that prayer should the Lord direct. 
You can subscribe to this program and a variety of different podcasting apps. And if it's been a blessing to you, please invite others to join in. Or you can rate and review the program wherever you may be listening. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.